You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Happy Friday. It's hot as balls here in Iowa, and uh, hopefully we can keep you cool while listening. <laughs> God, that was so cheesy. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. This is a good episode, though. We're going to be talking with a guy. Uh, his name is Nathan Adamson. He's from central Illinois. He hunts uh, multiple different states. He is a quote-unquote turkey guy who loves to whitetail hunt. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt. Don't shut the episode off uh, because uh, you think it's going to be all about turkey hunting because it is not. A majority of this episode is about whitetail hunting, whitetail hunting strategy. Uh, what do we talk about? Trail cameras, tree stand placements, you know, the run and gun lifestyle, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's a really good episode, man. So uh, I, lately I've just been doing a lot of these shoot from the hips. Hey, who wants to be on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. The first people who hit me up are the people who get scheduled, and uh, I love talking to regular people. Not, you know, I'm gonna have some quote unquote experts, or um, it's hard. It's it's really I would say industry people really, because there's no difference uh, when in success when it comes to let's say having a, a guy like uh, average and some average Joe on. And then we have another guy who everybody knows, but they have they have literally the same success, right? In the timber, whether it's on gigantic plots, you know, gigantic uh, chunks of managed land or it's on public land or it's on leased land or it's on uh, you know, knock on door permission, whatever. Um, success is like gray to me. You know, it's not necessarily based off inches, which a lot of the industry is based off inches. You know, don't get me wrong. I love watching big bucks get uh, an arrow, but uh, there's something something real sweet about when an average Joe does it. So I love talking to those guys. And even if they're not, quote unquote, the best hunters, I love talking to them, too, because, hey, every every one of us has been in a different stage of our hunting career at some point whether you're a novice whether you're right in the middle and you want to make that step up whether you're seasoned and you're trying to kill specific deer or only big deer uh i don't know there's content i feel for everybody and we can all learn from every individual if we keep our ears open so that's what uh there's my rant but we do have a really good episode today uh what are we doing here we, let's do let's just knock the commercials out and get right into the episode we have Exodus Trail Cameras, right? I got a little read here that I, they want me to do. Exodus Trail Cameras. These guys have been around for a 
uh, six years now. And they, uh, July 11th is their last day, which is today, the day you're actually listening to this. Um, enter the discount code year six, Y E A R, the number six, and you're going to save 20% off of one of these three things the Exodus render, the SP18, which is their solar panel, which is badass, by the way, and the render SP18 bundle. So that's the their cell cam and their solar panel uh, combined. Uh, June 11th is the last day. Use code year six, Y E A R six the number six uh and for some reason if it doesn't work i'm not saying it, it is or it isn't but it might be case sensitive so try lowercase and uppercase if for some reason it doesn't work and if not then uh, hit me up but uh you know i say this all the time on they have this three paragraph read that they want me to read about all you know like hey uh, exodus is this exodus is that and i i will do that at some point but the reason that i love working with Exodus is when I turn my camera on and I walk away, I know that it's going to work. And I haven't had that same confidence in some of the other trail cameras that I've used in the past. So, um, uh, definitely head on over to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Take a look at their render, their lift. Uh, oh my God. I can't believe I don't know what the other one is, but it, um, uh, the track there it is uh their trail cameras their accessories their solar panel and i'm telling you right now uh really good company really good people and really good products man uh, and it's uh it's another trail camera that i'm very confident in uh what do we got next we got lone wolf duh one of the be- hands down one of the best hang on tree stands on the market for the mobile guy right if you are looking to get in any tree four sticks and an assault four sticks if you want a bigger platform four sticks and an alpha are going to get you in any tree and it's not a, a matter of any tree it's a matter of the right tree the perfect tree because if you have a tree stand that doesn't allow you to level the platform uh, or you're going to be leaning way back or off to the side then you're going to be uncomfortable or you're not going to be able to hunt out of a specific tree, the perfect tree. So that there you're sacrificing position and, and potentially having a deer walk one yard out of range or behind a tree and you're and you're not in the right spot. And uh, once I started messing around all those years ago uh, with Lone Wolf, I was able to put myself in the right position. And uh, yeah, so... LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. Enter the discount code upon, let's see, let's see, 9FC21. 9FC21 at checkout, and you're going to save $50 off of all purchases over $200. Uh, whether you buy a set of sticks or a stand or a combo or whatever, uh, any purchase over 200 bucks is going to get you $50 savings. And then lastly, what was the other one I had here? Ozonix. Duh. <laughs> Again, duh. Um, man, I'm, where, where was I at? I'm trying to think. I was on... When I started using Ozonics all those years ago, I was on a, a farm that had several really good deer in it. And I can remember the night, and, and, and Ozonics used to be the size of like a DVD player. They used to be really big, heavy, um, cumbersome. Obviously, they're not that anymore. They're, uh, they're lightweight, they're quiet, all these things. And I, was, I made a move in on one of these bucks. And I had some does come downwind to me. And I was just like, Jesus, man, I am screwed. I'm done. I'm toast. They're going to blow and the night's going to be over. Well, they got downwind to me, put their nose in the air, and they just started sniffing around like, what is that? They became not necessarily alert, but just like, what is that smell? What is that? And eventually, you know, the, the head doe stomped a couple times did not blow stomped a couple times and then they all three went about uh, about their business and that for me was that aha moment that they all talk about with ozonics and i don't know man i to this day the functionality in the woods and the functionality outside of the woods um is amazing to me so uh if you want to find out more information about ozonics you can go to ozonics hunting.com uh, ozonicshunting.com check out 
all of the different uh uh, units that they offer. There's a lot of information on there about uh, ozone, how to use ozone uh, in in the tree and out in the garage or in, in their dry wash bag or their new, uh, they got a new unit that you plug into your cigarette lighter. And Ozonics, if you want a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of your units, enter the discount code NFC21, NFC21. And you're going to get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units. And it's it's worth it, man. Trust me, it's worth it. So there's the commercials. Let's get into today's episode with Nathan Adamson of Central Illinois. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today out of Central Illinois, Nathan Adamson. Nathan, what's up, man? How you how you doing, Dan? Well, good to hear from you. Yeah, you too, man. I really appreciate you taking time out out of your day to hop on and uh, BS for a little bit. Oh yeah, man, love the show. Been a long time listener and first time caller now. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, man, I've uh, I've learned a lot from uh, listening to you and all your listeners over the years, and uh, it's just an awesome show. And it's uh, I'm pretty stoked to be a part of it a little part of it you know yeah i appreciate that and i'll be honest you you mentioned that real quick um the people who come on this podcast i mean in in the quote-unquote hunting world you know 90 percent of them aren't anybody right they're just guys who like to get out and and do the passion that we all sit here and talk talk about all the time right and uh, that's really always been the goal so to hear you say that you've taken something away from the listener makes me pretty excited because I think that the listener or or the, the, the guest who is just that average Joe, you know, they're not the greatest DIY public land hunter of all time, or they're not the, the, the best food plot planner or whatever has something to say. And I think if we can all listen to those guys, you know, I, man, there's always somebody who knows a little bit, not necessarily more, but has a different approach to it. And I don't know. I just, I love hearing yeah, different I stories. I, I think in, uh, you know, this, this sport, uh, you know, you're forever learning. So you, you can never feel like you uh, know everything, man. And it's, it's always nice to, like you said, hear other people's point of views and approaches towards things. And I mean, all in all, it just, it, it helps you uh, diversify your portfolio, I guess, sort of speaking, Amen. you know, with uh, whatever you are trying to accomplish out there, whether, like you said, it's food plots or, you know, hanging better uh, stand locations or, you know, taking a more mobile approach, you know, it's a, it's a, you can always take something away from it. Yeah. And, uh, always learn, add to your arsenal, sort of speak. Yeah. All right. So in, in the, in this message that you sent me uh, through Instagram, you said you're a turkey nut who loves to, who loves whitetails. So does that mean right. that turkeys for you come first before whitetails well i'm telling you right now dan if a long beard walks in front of me the first week of november i'm gonna shoot it okay i mean if i got a permit in my pocket i'm gonna shoot it um i i tend to spend you know i think i just said that because it's still spring technically i i still uh, i'm still mad at the whitetails a little bit but um it, we're in that shift now, so I'm uh, now turkeys are kind of on the back burner, and I'm starting to fall in love with whitetails again. I'm starting to shoot my bow again, so we're just in that transition. You talk to me a month from now, I'm going to say deer hunting's better than turkey hunting. But okay, I, turkey hunting is my passion, and uh, if I had to pick just one, that would probably be the one to go with. Right, man. I tell, I'll tell you, like. I don't know. I'm on, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. Like I get excited sure. about turkey hunting during turkey season, you know, maybe a couple sure. days before, maybe a couple days uh, after, you know, just be like, oh, I'd, let's see how other people are doing, you know, listen to the conservation reports and stuff like that. But then like now I don't like you could ask me, hey, what's a wild turkey? And I'd be like, what? What? I don't even know. What? What is a wild turkey? Right. I, I, I don't know. Whitetails? Sure. Did you say whitetails? Because <laughs> that's right. what that's what I'm thinking about. Um, so let me ask you this. Why? Why wild turkeys over whitetails? Uh, what's, well, what's your I think? Well, uh, as of recently, the last few years, I've really started to uh, 
I, I never hunted out of state uh, up till three years ago, and then I, I went out of state on my first uh, turkey hunt to Georgia, and uh, I, so I just kind of took off with with it. I just started loving traveling during the spring and chasing turkeys. It just seems a little more laid back than uh, deer hunting. Um, deer hunting, don't get me wrong, I like I said, I enjoy the hell out of it, but it can be worse. Yeah. Uh, all all the way through, you know. As you know, it's it to be really successful and consistent in the game. It's a it's really a twelve month, you know, deal. You know, even you know, for most of us, it's we think about it three sixty five. You know, with turkeys, I can shut it off and turn it back on. And even even when they're being, uh, you know, turkeys, I still love them. You know. Yeah. But with deer, when they when they piss me off, I'm pissed off at them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I just, uh, like I said, man, I fell in love with the traveling aspect of it. And that that's probably more of it is just seeing different country and uh, having a little better weather to camp in and, uh, yeah. you know, permits, you know. or It's just a way more user-friendly, I guess, as far as uh, a traveling hunter goes. Yeah. Um, I guess I really never looked at it that way. I mean, you're right. The, the weather, uh, is, you know, can be better. It's not necessarily freezing cold at night. Uh, it is one of those tags that you could probably go to just about any state. I know there's some states that have a Turkey draw, but for most of the United States, I think you could probably show up and just try to either buy a ticket, buy a, buy a ticket or buy a tag. that's essentially what I do. I, you know, I don't put in any draws or buy permits ahead of time. If I get a free weekend and we don't, uh, you know, have any seasons in here in Illinois, you know, then, you know, I'm going somewhere and without, you know, breaking the bank, you know, sort of speak. So, yeah. Um, having said that, you know, I just, uh, I haven't gone out of state chasing uh deer that much, but I, I know, uh, I know the more I do that and the further west I go, um, I'm sure my love will, you know, end up matching the yeah. turkey hunting. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you another question. While you're out turkey hunting, and I, I found myself doing a lot of that this year, and I, I only hunted three days. My I was trying to focus sure. on turkey hunting, but I was looking in trees. I was trying to find, you know, old sign and, and doing my whitetail scouting too. While you're out, oh, yeah. while while you're out there on all these different states, how many states did you go to this year for turkeys? Uh, four. four, four, four states. Okay, what states were they? Yeah. Uh, well, I started in Southern Illinois, then uh, ended up in Ohio, Minnesota, and then Wisconsin. I did hunt Indiana with a buddy though for a couple of days. Okay, so for the most but, part, uh, all of those states are open to those are all over the counter states too, when it comes to whitetail yep. hunting, I think. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. The, and that's, that's kind of my approach, you know, also is a, I'm not going anywhere that also doesn't even, even on a mapping standpoint, I'm not going to any block that, I, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, potentially be a spot. I would go deer hunting also. So, okay. Um, you try to kill two birds. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So while you were out there this year, you know, across the, you know, chasing those toms, did you like locate anything as far as whitetail sign or whitetail habitat or terrain that got you excited and you said to yourself, man, I got to come back here. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, Southern Ohio, I definitely found a couple spots back in there actually that were way more conducive for deer hunting than turkey hunting it was just it was thick nasty stuff you know uh the stuff you want to find that's way back in there that uh it definitely wasn't turkey habitat yeah um but i did come across some rubs and it it seemed like man they were they were still scraping heavy over there i mean there's a a lot of a lot of scrapes along those uh, access roads that they still had wide open so um yeah, I, and I, I was—I uh, know specifically. Also, uh, I was marking tree stands that I was seeing over there. That's one of the big things I do, even here at home. Is uh, anytime I see somebody else's tree stand, I mark it on Onyx just uh, for reference on where pressure could be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely marked some rubs and scrapes as well. And uh, man, I've seen a ton of deer. Ton of deer. I actually came across two 
two freshly born fawns uh, crawling up the uh, side of a felt like a mountain uh, there in Ohio. Uh, it seemed early. What was that? The the tenth of May. Yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, fresh. It, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. As far as the amount of deer sign goes, I would say uh, Wisconsin. Out of all the states I went to this year, that was the one that that really popped to me as far as all the sign I did see. Yeah. Did you, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Ohio and Wisconsin and Minnesota, Illinois, that's the Midwest, you know, hands down. So what, what about, um, were you finding any, any consistencies in where you were finding this sign that you were locating for deer? I mean, were they in the bottoms? Were they in the tops? Were they, you know, three quarters of the way up the, you know, uh, two thirds of the way up the, the ridges or anything like that? As far as the uh, the deer specifically, uh, it was extremely wet over there. We had a few days of rain, so it was, it was uh, I was super quiet, you know, sneaking around. And uh, so I, I got pretty close to a lot of bedded deer, and they seemed to be on that uh, upper, I guess, uh, third of the side of the hill. And this topography I was hunting is, it was quite different than what I'm used to here in flat Illinois for the most part I mean it changes uh you know topography several hundred feet quickly so it was uh, it was pretty neat to see how deer were bedding and using those uh those knobs you know for cover and to be able to look down across you know big uh open uh, you know river bot or not river bottoms but uh valleys and ravines but it seemed like most of your big rubs seemed to be in that I guess I would say that uh, that hunting cover, you know, when it comes hunting season, they're they're in that little thicker that thicker stuff, you know, finding those rubs on those transition lines of that those areas, and like I said, those scrapes on the on the bordering areas of, of the ridge tops, you know, that surrounded those bedding areas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it seemed, you know, fairly conducive, you know, come, as far as where you find it, you know, elsewhere coming off your your ridge tips for major trails, you know. Yeah. Your saddles, you know, seem to have a lot of, a lot of funnel activity. Yeah. So now that deer or uh, turkey season's over, right. And your mind is shifting back into whitetails. Um, like for, for a guy like you, what does your summer look like as far as maybe trail cams or, or habitat work or food plots? If you have the ability to do any of that stuff. Sure. Well, I, I got lucky enough this year to where I landed a couple new farms. Um, so I've been busy scouting those pieces, and uh, I did hang a couple couple uh, new sets. Um, it, it looks pretty dy- dynamite. Um, I don't have the uh, ability to plant any row crops, which it doesn't matter. Most uh, One farm, there's quite a bit of beans there this year. Um, however, I will be able to plant some, uh, fall pots in some small locations. So that'll happen towards the, uh, the latter part of summer. But as far as right now, specifically, I'm kind of, kind of just, uh, treading water right now. Once we get into, you know, the later part of July, I'll really dive into, uh, sitting on bean fields and doing uh, summer surveillance. Uh, I love filming and taking pictures of wildlife. So that's always, uh, one of my favorite hobbies to do um, in the summertime is to hunker down on the bean fields. As far as right now, uh, like I said, I'm just sniffing out, checking out these new farms. Um, I'll probably get cameras up and running here towards the end of the month. Um, other than that, I'm just, uh, I, I still scout my, my public land haunts and uh, try to be on the upkeep of that. Um, I've been a diehard public land hunter for the last several, probably five or six seasons. However, like I said, I'm lucky enough to pick up a couple new farms. So kind of transition into that. I, I've learned over the years that I used to go nuts summer scouting on public land, uh, you know, getting out there, finding beds and uh, creek crossings and all that. I've learned, though, that it seems uh, – you know, you can find deer, but it seems like your best scouting is when hunting season comes because all yeah. of it changes as soon as people start coming in there and hunting. So yeah. 
here here this year i'm kind of just trying to focus my summer work on these new farms and uh really learn those yeah sorry that was kind of long-winded no it, it's a good <laughs> answer though it's a good answer because uh um i used to be the same way where if i had access to a property or if i was knocking on uh doors or whatever i mean granted i got three kids now i got a job i got a you know business that i got to run sure. so i got all this stuff i have to do as opposed to when i was younger and i could just go balls to the wall the whole summer right. and you know cover sure. ground and, and stuff so now i i guess we gotta say brownie points exactly you know? exactly so like for me what i'm doing is i'm just trying to let the trail cameras do the work man um sure uh are you uh you run a lot of cell cams uh i i have two that i ran this or no i actually now i have one because one got stolen but uh i don't i typically don't use them in the summertime i'm about to uh uh, pick some more Mm -hmm. up but you know i'm just sitting here trying to uh uh just I want to know if some of the deer that I saw last year are going to, are still around sure. and I do that in the summertime. Yeah. Now what happens is, and I'm sure you witnessed this too, in that September shift goes down, things jimble, jamble up and who knows uh, where the summer deer are going to be. Uh, will they come through? It all starts over again. It all starts over. So that is why just like kind of what you said, I, I hunt more aggressive during the hunting season now and scout sure. less, especially on farms that I know because that sign does right. change. The deer movement does change and uh, scouting's great, you know, looking for old sign, looking mm-hmm. for well-used trails, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the big, you know, let's say, Oh shit, I, I got a, I got a big buck on trail camera in the middle of the summer. There's no guarantee sure. he's going to be there in, in October or November. Sure. So anyway, yeah, that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah. I actually probably, you know, you know, a lot of people say the, the best time to really scouts, you know, right after deer season. And Absolutely. I have to agree with it. I'm, I am an avid, you know, shed hunter. And I do go pretty nuts. There's the month of January and February covering a lot of miles shed hunting. And that's when I really, really do a lot of my pin dropping, you know, on, on, on the maps, you know, and, really really carve it out you know yeah um plus like i said those tree stands are still out there and i can mark them and kind of still know where the pressure's at so yeah absolutely a little, little more conducive in the heat of the summer yeah how many trail cameras do you have out right now zero zero okay so zero. when do yeah. you i only have one out right now uh, i'll tell you this I would have more if I had more time in my schedule to do that. And, and some of it is, hey, sure. if you want the time, make the time. But right now I don't. Uh, when are you going to start yeah. throwing up your trail cameras? Uh, probably the end of the month if yeah. I get the time to. I usually shoot for right around 4th of July. Yeah, That's kind of kind of my start because I like to find them. And I just put them on the edge of those bean fields or those inside corners of shady spots where I think, uh, you know, where I'm seeing tracks too. Yeah. Um, just to try to get some sort of surveillance on where I can do some long range visual scouting, um, for the summer. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of cast a wide net, sort of speak, cover a lot of ground. You know, I don't, I think I probably got 20 cameras all together, maybe 25. So I don't, I don't really, put them all on put all my eggs into one basket i guess sort of speak you know start yeah. the first thing yeah what's uh how, how long do you give it an area this time of year because let me let me preface the question by saying this i wish i had more trail cameras out because it allows me you know if i if i leave it up for the entire month of you know, June and there's nothing on there. Yeah. Stuff could shift as crops start coming into, uh, you know, crops start coming in. Like when the beans hit, I got one farm that's dead, but when the beans start to uh, butt out and, uh, you know, all the deer in the beans, then it blows up. Right. So, you know, crop age or whatever, uh, has a lot to do with it. Um, and, and so I, I wish I had more time to move them around a little bit. So, Hey, there's nothing here that's worth shooting. I wish I could take that trail camera and take it to a different part of a farm or a different property and gain additional Intel. Sure. And, you know, again, that's my, right. own, my own fault. Um, no, sure. 
is is Illinois a mineral state? Like, can you use mineral in nope. Illinois? No, you can't. You can't use anything. Can't use corn piles. No mineral. Nothing. Right. All right. So but mock scrapes. That's it. That's it. Do you ever you ever do any mock yep. scrape stuff? Uh, I do. Uh, I'm actually I'm I'm pretty big about it. Honestly, I I pretty much any camera I put out, I'm gonna do something in front of it. You know gotcha. what I mean? E- even if it's just kick the leaves around, you know, it just it always seems to get something to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so walk us through your mock scrape setup where it's located in relationship to a terrain feature or an ag field or whatever, and uh, and how, how you uh, go about creating one. Well, uh, I guess, I guess for starters, in the summer, I, I typically, I don't put my cameras very deep at all. I, I keep them, uh, you know, kind of shallow to where I can get them easily and check them easily um, or for to refresh and scrape. So, it's a lot of field edge, uh, a lot of inside corners, especially, you know, those spots that are next to, you know, either clover or, you know, soybeans that they're coming into. And then uh, I'll usually make a, like I said, a mock scrape. Oh, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 feet from it where you can get a good picture, you know, but the, the night stuff will still work on it. Um, yeah. Always got to have an overhanging branch and, uh, you know, just make a, kick the leaves away and try to make a good circle you know sometimes you got to take a hoe or something with you if the ground's dry and uh you you can usually i i feel get something stopped just by you know disturbing the soil um but you always got to take a leak in it right that's always cool to (laughs) be in a scrape and then to get a big buck come in there and investigate you know what i mean yeah i always get a kick out of that because i back in the day when i was a a young pup, I, you know, was a firm believer in Tink 69 and trophy buck and all the, all the, you know, the stuff, you know, but come when it came down to it, it just, your own stuff works just fine. Yeah. I need to do more of that um, stuff, however, I feel. Sure. Well, one thing though, that I need to do more of, and it, it, it's, it was amazing. The, the difference was, uh, using some sort of uh, is it the preorbital gland, right? Yeah, the, that, the stuff that you you like dip on the licking branch or hang a rope from the yeah. licking branch. Yep. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, is one of my favorite articles. The the Winsel Brothers. You, I'm sure you've heard of them, right? Yeah. The, the longbow guys from Iowa. They had an article. I think it was North American Whitetail about uh, them putting out wicking ropes and using uh this uh this smokies i think it's what it's called pre-orbital gland lures so i started using that a while back and i've i've had bucks many bucks over the years like be up on their hind legs up in that tree trying to you know get that smell or whatever and to put leave theirs on it as well it's uh it's it's pretty cool stuff especially for buck activity on a scrape yeah so the way I look at it is, so I'm using mineral here in Iowa. Um, it gets me sure. all the trail camera pictures I need. Like I know a deer yeah, is in the, awesome. in the area. Um, sure. So this preorbital gland, do you think it does a good job of pulling, like to, to get pictures, right? That's what we all want or, you know, to identify sure. shooters throughout the summer. Um, is there... A, like uh, a trick to using that to where you really can get a lot of deer in front of the camera. So like something similar to a mineral station. Uh, I've just, I haven't gotten carried away. Like I said, I've, I've heard of people using like, uh, you know, um, wick ropes and dipping it, the end of it, like fraying the end of it, kind of like a paintbrush and dipping it into that. I've had a lot of success just, dipping the tip of the licking branch actually in the the little jar um, okay and i i don't know if it actually pulls deer you know there specifically but it definitely keeps them there longer um you end up getting you know they're usually in front of the camera for quite a bit of time so uh you have a lot of chances for them to to trigger that camera gotcha gotcha so uh Trail cameras uh, throughout the summer months. Uh, how often are you checking them? 
Um, probably well, some of my farms were two hours from my house, so I'll let those run probably three weeks through the summer, check them, see if I need to move them or not. Um, I, I'll usually check them at the, at the end of, uh, July, um, right when I start doing my, um, my actual visual, visual surveillance, kind of get a grasp on things. I might shift them around a little bit, but like I said, it's usually only, I run them for a month, maybe a month and a half. And then, uh, then I pull them until, till September and, uh, try to transition, find those home ranges. Yeah. So what's that transition look like for you? Cause I do the same thing, uh, but I want to know where you're hanging your trail cameras once it's time to put them back up after, I guess we're, after we start talking about the quote unquote summer pattern. Well, I'll, uh, I'll put them back on those, uh, on those scrapes that I have on those, uh, field edges. Um, however, when, when it comes to doing anything further or deeper than that, um, uh, I usually won't do it until if I, if I go in there before season, I'll, I'll do it uh, Labor Day because I try to get all of my stuff done before Labor Day and then have the whole month of September for everything to just sit. Um, but most of the time for anything deeper, I usually just wait until I hunt and backpack one in there and hang it then um, if I don't get it out before Labor Day. Yeah. Um, like I said, I usually, I usually start shallow and then end up going deep. Okay. Depending on what you're telling me. Yeah. So then the season hits, right? What are you doing? Like, let's say you got, uh, and this happens to me a lot. All right. I got a part of the farm. It's dead. There's no quote unquote shooters on the farm, uh, on that part of the farm. But I got another shooter who's coming in, uh, to a different trail camera, maybe not a regular basis, but you know he's he's in there and he's coming in not often but every once in a while what's your sure. what's your shift like are you taking stuff down and moving it around at that point to try to get a, a second lead on him or are you just leaving it up and then going in to hunt him well it, uh I, I i do have some pre-hung sets but i i always got a mobile uh, i got two mobile setups right ready to go so I don't get too carried away about having to making a special trip going in and, you know, hanging a stand. If, uh, if I'm making a move on a deer, if I know he's in there and coming into a field and I don't have anything there, then uh, I'll, I'll uh, go in there and, you know, hang and hunt them. But I'm most of the time trying to hunt those fronts, you know, um, trying for those big, big cold fronts to come in to really, uh, you know, capitalize on what I feel the best movement is. I, I feel like on, on my, I'm really different from how I hunt, I guess, my private to my public land spots. I am way more aggressive on public than I am on my private stuff. Um, I tend to stay shallow for most of the season on, uh, my private spot, my private spots and only dive in when, when that time is absolutely right. And, um, you know, I guess I just know that by uh, the trail cameras and seeing the the consistency of uh, any deer, you know, whether it's does or small bucks, you know, and then, then I'll dive in there deeper. But as far as uh, my my public land stuff goes, I'm, I'm usually getting way aggressive and just covering ground as much ground as possible. And a lot of that has, I, I feel I do, is just to, to see where everybody is hunting. You know what I mean, and then, then when it gets to that end of that October um, time frame, I feel like I have a really good ballpark on where a lot of pressure is, to where I really know where to focus. You know, the month of November. Yeah. Um, and then if I get burnt out and want a quote unquote easier hunt, not have to walk three miles and take a stand and all that, then then I'll shift over a day or and uh, a half a day to my my private spots. So just try not to burn out um you know the good stuff yeah so that i do have a little bit of control over okay so how big are your private pieces uh i got i got two farms that are 75 acres and then one farms uh i think 350 but it's only like 30 acres of timber on it okay yeah 
So that makes more sense of what, what you were saying, where you just kind of bump over to private for a couple of days yeah. because it's yeah. just not that, that, that much of acres. Yeah. Are there, where I'm at, we have a, a ton of bags. So, yeah. um, you can, you can really burn it out quickly if, if you're not careful. Yeah. So central Illinois is, is flat. So uh, the, the parts that I'm, I'm thinking of are, uh, is there any type of, is there any terrain there other than maybe some, some cricks and drainages? Oh yeah. We, there's a, uh, here where I'm at, we have, uh, let me see here. Three, three major, uh, not major rivers, but decent sized river, um, corridors here and that creates um the most diverse um topography as well as habitat um in this area and that's that's where a lot of the game is especially the whitetails um is right there along those rivers um and that's like i said that's where your 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 bigger blocks of timber are and uh a little more conducive to moving around a little bit, yeah. you know, and covering some ground. I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to have, like I said, these three, um, spots, you know, close to my house to where I can hunt different spots without hunting the same group of deer, I guess, sort of speak, or yeah. not really even, uh, three completely different counties. So, so I'm able, I'm able to bump around without burning stuff out. Okay. What's the story with, uh, with the deer are, are there better deer on your private, which allows, you know, which you are a little bit more calculated with your, your hunt plan there, as opposed to the, the public where you can like turn and burn it. Um, man, it's, I, I've, we've found some absolutely studs on public ground over the years. So if you're willing to do the work and get in there and, do the scouting and play your cards right you can i know there's the same caliber of bucks out there than what i got on my private uh spot as a matter of fact two years ago i had more bucks over 140 in between the 140 and 170 inch range that i was hunting on three separate pieces of public than i had on any private any of my private stuff so it uh, I I just I, I love it more. Uh, I feel you know it's just I can I can cover ground and I I know they're there. It's a yeah, it's yeah. a it's a chess match that I I love playing. It's a it's weird though. Like, like when I get a big buck on on my private spot and something happens on the other side of the fence, whether you know neighbors trespass or you know they're raising hell on the four wheeler. I get pretty kind kind of ticked off, you know, and aggravated about it. Um, but like with public though, I'm way more laid back when it comes to stuff like that. You know what I mean? You just, there's uh, nothing you control out, uh, can control out there. And you know that going into it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good way to look at that. It's different, but I know the deer are there. Yeah. Good way to look at that. I, cause I do the same thing where, you know, um, I have a, a private piece that I, I pretty much lay off of, uh, for strategic hunts, you know, like if a, if I have some free time and, uh, I want to hunt close to home, I'm hunting, I'm hunting the public that's close to my house or, um, uh, a farm that has, is, is almost like public. There's a ton of people who hunt it. So, you know, sure. I, I, if I'm an, and and on those, I know I already know that there's pressure on it, so it's, I don't get pissed sure. when uh, right. I go to my private farm and there's you know it's just a guy on a four wheeler driving all over the farm. It's like who are who is this guy? I know he doesn't have permission. What's the story? And you get frustrated because you know in some way, shape, or form it had effect on the deer movement. Now you're there after sure. all this happened. Ah. Uh, Oh, well, right. It's like, there's some things you can control and there's some things you can't. Sure. Yeah. I uh, hear you. Yeah. So when it comes to tree stands, right, I have a handful of stands that are, that are set up, that I'll set up before the season starts. Um, and then I'm a running gunner from, from there. Those are my typical rut spots. I have them in some, 
some good bedding, some staging areas, sure. some, some, uh, travel corridors. And then from there, it's all about the, you know, it's all about, uh, moving where the deer are. What's your sure. strategy as far as having stands ready versus being run and gun? Um, I'm like you, I, I try to have, well, on our, on our public stuff, you can't leave any tree stands out there. You have to be a mobile hunter. Yeah. As far as my private stuff, if I know the farm, then I like to have those spots down in those bedding areas, those, those funnels, those pinch points, um, already set up and ready to go. I like to have them done by now if I can. Um, but like I said, this year I got a couple new spots. I'm still trying to figure out so i haven't been getting too crazy quite yet uh i mostly have just hung uh two observation uh sets i did hang one one stand and uh it just looks like a classic pinch point so you got to have one there right yep um but uh other than that like i like you man I, i'm staying on my feet and staying mobile um but yeah i try to have those those uh those old reliables, you know, all, should always have a stand rearing and ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you this, that if if I lose a deer, right, let's say I, I uh, make move in on him, I can't locate him on trail camera anymore, uh, maybe he's off with a doe, then I'll go, and where I start my rotation again is is where, where I have my pre-hung, right? It's like, oh, shit, I sure. saw a, a buck run. You know, it's, it's basically an observation, but it's in a good sure. point where I could potentially kill. So if I see a, a, a buck working up a ridge, you best believe the next hunt I'm over on that ridge. But the, oh, yeah. the places that I have are really good as far as, sure. um, I don't know. But, yeah, trail, uh, tree stands. Uh, and over the years, I have those those pre-hung sets ready to go, but every year I feel like I use them less and less, and I'm running and gunning more and more. Wow. So I, I, I agree with you full heartedly. Hell, I, actually last year on, on one of my farms where I knew I, I knew I wanted to be down in this funnel and I, I had a stand down in there, but it, it seems like I, I haven't quite uh, perfected it yet. It's, it's really temperamental as far as the wind directions and how the thermals play uh, in, in that, that the, it's a river bottom pinch point essentially. Um, so everything's got to be real, just perfect. And I think I'm just, I'm, I'm in the wrong tree by about 15 feet, just from when they come off of the ridges. I'm like the first thing, it's the first big tree that they see. Yeah. And I, I've been, I've been busted a couple times there when I've been caught with my pants down and moving when I shouldn't have been. So last year I found myself uh, taking my mobile stand with me and either still climbing up in there and if i got busted i would adjust or i would adjust r right then and there that morning you know depending on uh what the wind was doing yeah. once i got down in there yeah it's, it seemed like it's one of those spots like it, it it's it's better in your favor once the sun peaks up over the horizon and the thermals really start playing otherwise the the wind just stays in there when you're in a tree now if i if i'm on the riverbank like i I did last year. Uh, I stayed like I just crested right up out of the riverbank, and I sat on the ground. And with that cool air still sucking down the river corridor, I was fine. But once I got up in that tree, before the sun peaked up over the horizon, the wind would just swirl while I was up there. And it, uh, like I said, I'm still still critiquing that that spot a little bit, but it's uh, I I, I know it's a spot that you, you got to be in. Yeah, and that's the that's the hardest part, right? What one of the things that uh, kind of over the years stopped me from being mobile sooner was, hey, man, I've put all this time in, in locating these good tree stand locations. Um, I know what the wind's doing in them. If I do a run gun somewhere else, man, that, you know, 40, 50, 60, whatever, however many yards down, it could swirl and come this way or go back or the thermals could be wrong or whatever. And I just was like, I don't want to take that risk, especially if it's on a, a big deer that I, I know where he's at. So I'm, sure. I always kept putting my time into these old quote unquote old faithfuls, but old faithfuls were good for seeing deer, not necessarily sure. killing deer. So I really had to learn sure. uh, through failure on, you know, how, 
the wind works and how thermals work and how they they sometimes go against each other and sometimes the you know causing swirling and sometimes can I don't know about you, but do you have any of these spots that are just like the thermals are rocking and the predominant winds out of a specific direction, you're almost untouchable? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the, this spot, uh, if I just get right up on the ridge, it's it's that spot. It's just kind of – it's right on the uh, the field edge once I get up on the ridge. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of sketchy as far as the morning spot goes. It's one of those um, – it's a tucked in back end field edge that drops off to the river corridor. And in the evening it's, it's bulletproof. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll hunt the, the lower spot in the morning and then I'll just crawl right up the, the ridge 150 yards and set that spot in the evening. However, I'm starting to think I need to push the envelope a little bit and get up there. Um, just because the trail cameras last year, it's, it's like a, a tucked away cove of this field and there's just a ton of daylight activity up there just a spot where they can just they can cruise and get right back into cover real real quickly however my wind and everything is way more consistent up there yeah um but you as you know you get down in those valleys things can get a little weird yeah um but it's a, it's it's like it seems like over the years, I guess I, I, I used to feel like, okay, this is the spot, you know, and I'd hang a stand there. But over the years from either setting the same spots or, or bumping around a little bit, I've learned that there's a spot within the spot and yeah. there, then there's the spot within the spot within the spot, the you know, spot, the killing the tree. Spot. That's yeah. the killing tree. Yeah. And I, I only got a couple of those and, uh, I, honestly, I haven't killed out of them and, some time but it's just you they're dynamite you yeah. know um and of course there there stands there now but uh things are forever changing i i feel like too and maybe it's not a really drastic change but it could be just a new trail that opens up because of a a, a tree fell down on the neighbors just around the knoll that you can't see yeah. so the trail shifts you know, 30 yards out of range from you yeah. and you don't even know it until halfway through the season. So you got to be willing to, uh, adapt a little bit. And, uh, I'm like you, man, the, the more permanent sets I had out there, the more I found myself just staying stagnant, you know, and, yeah. um, not wanting to adjust. Yeah. When I, when I started really diving into public, I, you know, it forces that on you. You yeah. know what I mean? It forces you to adjust. Yeah. How aggressive are you when it comes to whether you're, uh, it's a run and gun, right? On a run and gun, it's kind of a different story, but on maybe a pre a pre hung set on a pre hung set, you hang it for specific wind directions, right? On a, a run sure. and gun, you can go in a, a piece of property because of access route, a, a different access route. You can hunt r- really any, any wind direction, how aggressive sure. would you say if you're, if you're going to rate yourself from one to 10, 10 being the most aggressive, um, how aggressive are you with your wind directions in, in, in relationship to like where deer, how deer are moving? I would say an eight. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty aggressive. Uh, I, uh, like I said, uh, these spots, uh, like I said, are fortunate enough around these river corridors to where you have a lot of creeks and ditches to where you can utilize, uh, as far as access routes to get into and be, be pretty lethal that way. It seems that in my experience, anyway, I feel once I'm in a river in the morning, in the dark, I, I feel comfortable because it's, I feel like if the wind is in that tunnel, and going right down the river, just yeah. the way I needed to. As long as it ain't gusting, you know, across the river and doing anything crazy, I feel like it's consistent in that tunnel. Yeah. And I just, I feel like I can, depending on where I feel feel the deer are feeding and where they're bedding, I can really thread the needle, um, or I, I feel like I can yeah. um, thread the needle. And to where you're positioning yourself in locations where you have it in your favor, 
but there's a there's a, a decent chance where you know things could go wrong there could be a deer down for, wind from you but there there's also like a, a i don't know a, a crosswind i guess to where you're giving them a little bit too yeah i, I feel like the my buck sightings um skyrocketed when i started giving them a little bit and positioning myself in in spots um where i where there's a, a little more room for air i guess so to speak if that makes sense uh to where they're feeling they they they're able to uh come into a bedding area with the the wind in their nose so to speak and i'm trying to be just on the back side of them a little yeah. bit you know what i mean yeah i guess for like for me, a lot of it has to do with, how do I put this? Like location. And some of my pinch points, I got, I got one where it's a creek that is eroding a river bank and that river bank is real steep. And that is like, it cuts off a, a ridge, right? So the deer have to come through this pinch point if they want to travel it through this, sure. this little, tra- this little corridor. And I've noticed that, they won't travel. Let, let's just say this this pinch point runs east and west, right? That's typically the travel that they're going. If it's a straight west or a straight east wind, there's almost no movement through it. Uh, they're sure. out of the north a little bit because uh, the, the 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 creek is to the north. It causes a uh, it, it's it's not necessarily it's there's more movement, but not a lot. I think it's more thermal movement at that point. Sure. But if it's out of the south and it's flowing over top of that ridge down into that that creek pinch point, it just is a highway uh, of deer coming sure. coming back and forth. And so in a situation like that, I don't say I'm not saying it's an aggressive wind. It is for the access route walking in because I have to walk in from the south. My wind's blowing right down into that into that uh, uh, pinch point. But when I'm up in the tree, I'm bulletproof, dude. I'm like sure. 90% bulletproof. And sure. so I wouldn't say I'm aggressive on, on that, but there's other times where the same scenario, but let's just take the, the crick out of the equation. The deer could go low if they wanted to. I'm on that eight, you know, I'm on that eight range, maybe a nine range. Sure. And if I know for a fact a, a deer is coming through that pinch point. I'm, I'm going all out for him. The only, the, but the thing is, it's like, once you learn how to do that and mess around with it long enough, it's not, it's not necessarily an aggressive move. Right. It it becomes second nature. Exactly. You you know what to do when it, when it's time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I had a, I had a similar experience last year. I I hunted that old reliable spot I was talking about in the pinch and I got busted that morning a couple times, um, before it even got light out. I just, I heard uh, deer blowing and throw some milkweed and it's swirling a little bit so i got back in the river and went up a mile back to the truck and went to a whole new another farm um later on that day i just it was too late by the time i got out i just didn't want to booger that spot because i i had this really big eight pointer i'm just a sucker for big eight pointers and yeah. i just i made up my mind and i wanted to kill him he was hanging out on on this food plot to the north of this just adjacent to the this bedding area that's north of me in this pinch across the river so the river runs on the east side of this bedding area on the other side of the river there's a big ridge that comes down and another bedding area i i could see some deer up in the bedding area to the north of me all um uh the time before that hanging out up there and I just knew they were crossing the river up there, kind of where that ridge point comes down off the neighbors right there. It just creates a nice crossing right there. So I told myself when I went back down in there um, the next time with a south wind this time, I was going to the first major creek cro- or river crossing I found with, with a big set of tracks in it. That way they could have the, the south wind in their face coming into that creek crossing, but it's blowing i'm just on the downwind side of the crossing with the wind blowing back up the river the way i came from it was actually three quarters of a mile shorter than what you know i was used to taking going down to uh, old reliable and i kid you not dan right at daybreak i heard grunting and i was sitting on the ground because 
uh, I, I took my stand with me and when I crawled up out of the river, I could hear deer walking in the bedding area. So I just, I didn't want to risk it. Plus with the, with the way my wind was working, just sitting right there on the bank, I was good. I was good. And right at daybreak, a doe came, comes down into the river and a buck's that eight pointer is on her tail, 20 yards. They cross the river on me. I'm ranging 30 yards and he's bumping her around and uh, I grunt and she actually comes back across the river on my side, back up into the bedding area on, on my side. That buck follows her right at 20 yards. I grunt. He's in right on the river crossing on a sandbar working a scrape of a big old grapevine hanging over just beautiful video and i choke and i miss him he dropped probably 12 inches and i the arrow went right over his back i was completely heartbroken (laughs) but uh he he was a damn good buck and it but going even leaving that that encounter dude like i was bummed but like i was jacked because my plan worked yeah. I, I moved when I needed to, and I didn't go further than what I needed to. Yeah, I went to the first major sign uh, that was the most consistent, and it, it, was, it was perfect execution other than just not, not drawing blood. Yeah, and everything we talked about today, that kind of shit still happens. It can still happen. Even in, if, if sure. the, the wind's right, the thermals are right, the access is right, all that stuff. And they, they, it's never, still never guaranteed, man. Sure. But, but when you execute it and you know, yeah. it's just because of the shot. Yeah. You, you, it, it takes a lot. And as you know, Dan, to get within bow range of, of any deer, let alone a, a mature buck. Right. So when you can do it, either on the ground or hanging a tree stand or hanging a, uh, sitting in a, a pre-hung stand, it, uh, it says something, you yeah. know, especially those times where you knew you need to make a change and you did it. And it, 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 it worked out acceptably and shot. You, you just, you, you can have a chip on your shoulder. I, I feel in certain aspects because you, you can carry that, you know, through throughout the rest of your career and, and, and know and it uh or it gives you confidence to to do it to not be afraid of change and to 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 go try something different you know make those aggressive moves see what sure because i'll I'll tell you this and a lot you know granted habitat can change uh the, the landscape can change a little bit but as far as wind direction is concerned and how thermals play on a on a ridge for the most part, that's going to stay the same for several years in a row. So if you blow it one year, sure. maybe you got to say, hey, I need to be a tree up or a tree down or a tree east or south sure. or whatever, you know. And then the next year that comes by, bingo, he's toast. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. It's uh, every year rolls into the next, you yeah. know. And I've, I, did, I was never an aggressive hunter until I really dove into public and – it, it made me so so much of a better hunter, um, even on my private stuff. But it, it gives you the confidence to go out there and to try it. That's the perfect place to try it to where you're not – you don't know if you're screwing it up or not. You yeah. know what I mean? The deer could have been blown out by somebody else before you even got there. Yeah. Um, but you're out there trying it, a, kind of a blank slate, so to speak, without boogering up your – your good stuff you know you can it's it's a it's the perfect place to try new stuff and what i love about it is and and that this is just bow hunting in general man it's 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 a huge adventure to me and i love covering new ground and trying new things and it's just when you when i started doing that more and more the fun of it came back to me yeah um and it's just it's it's awesome yeah that's a fact man that's a fact see here here we are we've talked almost an hour about it and i'm I'm not even thinking about turkeys anymore (laughs) i hey i've done my job i've done my job (laughs) you did it you did well i i tell you what man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and bs about whitetails with me um so thank you very much for your time and let me be the first to wish you good luck this upcoming season man you too brother man i appreciate you having me on and uh Let's do another one sometime and uh, 
I wish you luck this season. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Nathan for uh, hopping on last minute and uh, chit-chatting with me. Huge shout out to all of the Nine Finger Chronicles partners. We have Wasp Archery, Vortex, Hunt Stand, Exodus Trail Cameras, Lone Wolf, and Ozonix. And uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. If you have any questions about maybe uh, purchasing decisions or functionality uh, decisions hit me up on uh, instagram and i can talk about those you know real quick with you about uh, some of those products and maybe what your needs and wants are and uh, what product might fit you the best out of the out of these companies lineup so uh, there's that Uh, please go to instagram and facebook and follow on the nine fingers and the sportsman's nation if you are not already doing that uh, what else are we talking about? iTunes, right? Or wherever you download your podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe and go leave some reviews, right? Leave a five-star review. Tell everybody how much you love the Nine Finger Chronicles, how it's probably the best podcast um, in the hunting platform. It blows all the other um hunting related podcasts out of the water how i'm so cool and rad and all this other bullshit (laughs) so uh go do that and lastly get outside have fun it's summertime go spend some time with a family before the hunting season build those brownie points build those bridges because we're going to need them come fall so good vibes in good vibes out wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time